All right, guys, so we turn to today. And every, every year what we do on our anniversary is we look at God's vision for your life and God's vision for the Grove. God's vision for your life, God's vision for the Grove. And simply put, God's vision for your life together collectively is to bring God's kingdom here. For heaven to come on earth, for heaven to come to St. Lucie County, for heaven to come to Martin County, for God together using us to bring his kingdom. Last week we said, what is each and every one of your, what is your purpose in this world? What's your purpose here? The answer is to make disciples to glorify God. Now here's what that means. You help people come to faith and you help people grow in faith. That's your purpose here. Help people come to faith, help people grow in faith. Your mission in this world, your purpose in this world, if you are a Christian, help people come to faith, help people grow in faith. Now listen, the vision or of God's kingdom coming, that happens when us, when we to collectively say, let's all do this together. Let's help people come to faith, let's help people grow in faith, and as we do that, God's kingdom comes. And so what we're gonna do today, bird's eye view, we're going to look down and look at what happens when God's kingdom actually really comes. It's a picture of heaven invading the earth. It's a picture of heaven stabbing the flag into the ground saying, we are here. Heaven has come. Now, every church ought to have this mission. Every church's mission ought to be to make disciples. And every church's vision ought to be for God's kingdom to come. And each and every church articulate that in a different way, depending on where they are and who they're trying to reach. And so for us, when we say our mission is to make disciples, the way that, that looks for us is we want to be a place where believers and skeptics have authentic community and honest conversations about faith and doubt. Believers and skeptics having authentic community, honest conversations about faith and doubt. And we think that is the best way for people to come to faith and grow in faith, especially the people we're trying to reach. Okay, so that's our mission, and that is our purpose. The vision is that as collectively, as we seek to accomplish that, God's kingdom will come. So the way we articulate our vision is this. A new story for our city and its people. Meaning... Expanding on that, a new story of Christian flourishing. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard the statistics in our area, but the area between Fort Pierce and West Palm is the number one area in the nation of people who have never once stepped foot into a church. That means that the Christian message is not actually known in our area. And what we've been saying for a very long time is that People are actually misunderstanding Christianity. That we've been saying, if Christianity doesn't sound like the greatest news you've ever heard, you're most likely misunderstanding it. And that means there are tons of people misunderstanding what Christianity is actually saying. And so every week, what we're fighting for is for God's kingdom to come how? A new story of Christian flourishing. And here's what happens. When Christianity flourishes, it brings not just spiritual flourishing but emotional flourishing, social flourishing, and then even cultural flourishing. But enough people are flourishing spiritually, and then because of that emotionally and socially, then it brings cultural flourishing to a city. 
And that's what we're fighting for every single Sunday. That's what we're fighting for all throughout the week as we gather together for that to happen. So our text is going to tell us what that looks like. So let's dig into it so then we could go out and do it. Isaiah 61. We're going to read the whole chapter. There's quite a bit to read. So you got to stay super focused. Are you ready for it? All right. The spirit of, I heard one person say, I am. It's one, one of you. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks, foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there will be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Keep listening. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion, They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels for as the Lord brings forth its sprout, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as the garden causes what is sown to sprout up so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations All throughout these verses there's something so important in here that you've got to see. There's something that is assumed all throughout as we read through that, and here's what it is. Your greatest threat, the people that you love, their greatest threat, your family's greatest threat, your neighbor's greatest threat, all of humanity's greatest threat, one thing, sin. Sin. Our greatest threat sin. There's nothing more deadly. There's nothing more self-sabotaging. It's a virus that spreads from person to person and from culture to culture, and there is nothing that isn't left affected by sin. It doesn't show favoritism, though we might have our favorite sin, and as likely our favorite sin is what is destroying us the most. And sin has literally taken all that is good, anything that is good, well, Sin ta- Here's what sin does. It takes things that are good and turns them into palaces of evil. Sin has ruined everything for you, and it is ruining you, and sin is literally ruining everything. And our city, our, our, our verses are saying that our city is in ruins because of this sin. 
And the Bible goes to great lengths to try to convince you that something is drastically wrong here. And we try to numb ourselves to that reality. We try to pretend like that is not true. And you might look around and you might say, hey, we're fairly close to the beach here. And crime is down. And we have a Chick-fil-A now. Life is good. But if you looked into the soul of our city and you looked into the souls of the people of the city, what you would find is we are like the walking dead. We are like zombies. Now, let me explain. Who you are meant to be and how you currently are and the you that you are meant to be one day in paradise the difference between that you and how you are is like us looking at zombies and saying, wow, they look like the walking dead. That is the distance between who you are and who you're really meant to be. Look at our verses. Look at what they're saying. Spiritually, we are in ashes without God. This isn't talking about a particular group of people. This is talking about humanity. We are in ashes without God. We're mourning in our hearts. We're captive to something we can't break out of. We're helpless, unable to change our destiny, stuck. We are prisoners. Prisoners to what? A world that has not, yet, that has not just been tainted by sin, but a world that is being ruined by sin. And we're barely hanging on. The world is eating us alive. And I want you to know, if you're thinking, oh man, this world is great, I want you to know, I'm begging you to know this, your ambitions are far too tiny. You're wanting something that is far, far too small. But if you are willing to admit that we are in the ruins, I want you to know that's good news. And here's why I say that. Because it means that there is hope for something greater. If we acknowledge that something is wrong, that, that, that means that there is something to hope in. But here's what I mean. If there is no God, then it means that this is the way it is. And this is the best that it gets. And evolution has brought us up to this point and we are just random. And it means that we have just been dealt the cards that we have been dealt. So to say that life isn't fair, to say that life isn't good, is to say something that makes no sense at all. Because this is just how things have played out. But if you are saying that something is wrong, it means that you long for a greater world. And if, you're, if a, fish, a fish wants to swim because there's such thing as water, you are hungry because there's such thing as food, and if you find in yourself desires, nothing in this world can satisfy. That can only mean you are made for another world. And you are not that yet there. So you hope in that world. Don't you dare fall for the lie that this is as good as it gets. The deepest darkness, you know what it is? The deepest darkness is the conviction that light will never return or there never was a light. That is the deepest darkness. That is hopelessness. But the good news is that while it is bad, the light will return. Your longings for paradise are longings for paradise because there is a paradise. And sin is the only logical explanation for the loss of paradise. And do you know 
Do you know this? There's actually, I was listening to a podcast and there was a scientist on and there was a scientist was giving an explanation of how all of us, every single person is looking for some type of villain in their life. They're looking for the greatest threat in their life. They're looking for someone to blame or something to blame for why things are the way that they are. Whatever is the greatest threat to them. We use politics to do that. We use maybe our boss to do that. We use someone who has hurt us. We make them the villain. But the Bible says that there is a villain. And the Bible names that villain. The Bible uses the name Satan. Evil has a face. The Bible has named him Satan. And there are traces of him everywhere you see sin. You want to hear something fascinating? There is an atheist named Andrew Del Banco, and he writes this book called The Death of Satan, and he says something fascinating in it. Not what you would expect. He says, our problem in our culture is that we have taken away the words sin and evil. And what's happening is we are experiencing sin and evil, but we've taken those words away, so we don't now have the words to describe what is happening to us, and it's leaving us very confused and very frustrated. What he says is if we will put these words back in our vocabulary, at least we will be able to name what is happening to us and what's happening around us. That's an atheist that said that. So this is similar to this. Let's say that your car was broken. Let's say our cars were broken. And we said, ah, it would be, I mean, that's insulting to say that our cars are broken. That's offensive. I have a car, and don't tell me my car is broken. That is offensive to my car. Don't do that. And then as soon as we do that, here's what happens. We don't take our cars into the shop because we don't want to admit that they're broken. And so because of that, the cars never get fixed. Or we don't buy new cars because that would be offensive to the old car. And the car would get its feelings hurt, so therefore we can't buy new cars. So then the next thing you know, we're walking around because... We can't say what's actually happening. Christianity is naming the brokenness that's happening in us and it's naming the sin so that it might be redeemed. So we can be changed. So prisoners would be set free. So those who are mourning would be glad. So that the city of ashes will be changed and turned beautiful. But that can never happen unless we are willing to say, I am a sinner. The car can't be fixed unless we say it's broken. Don't be afraid to call yourself a sinner. It's not a big deal. I mean, it is a big deal, but it's not a big deal. But it is a big deal. Just, our culture is trying to convince all of us, don't use that language. What I'm saying is be a free thinker. Don't follow the masses Think about this. I know it's not fun to say, but if you will say it, it means you can be set free from it because you will look for something to rescue you, someone to rescue you. Something is wrong with you. That's what the Bible's saying. I know, that Bible is offensive. And it's saying to you right now, something is wrong with you. Happy birthday. We're two years old. Something is wrong with you. Um, But listen, when you're ready to say that, that's when you're ready to meet the hero. 
That's when all of this begins to make sense. Christianity will never make sense until you get to the point to where you're ready to say, there definitely is something wrong with the world, and there's definitely something wrong with me, and I'm ready to be changed. I'm ready to be fixed. Point two, the hero. The very first public sermon, I mean, this is, this is fascinating also. The very first public sermon of Christ comes in Luke 4. Do you know what the verses are that he preaches from? Our verses that we have here. The first two verses that we have here, he comes on the scene, Jesus comes on the scene, public ministry, his first sermon, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after he said this and he gives his sermon, after he does that, he says, in hearing all of this, it's all been fulfilled, meaning I am the hero who has come to take our ruins and turn them into paradise again. He's the mechanic that's come to bring us back to life, to turn us from zombies into humans as we're meant to be, to make you fully alive. He's come to turn you from Pinocchio into the real boy. He's the kiss that wakes up Sleeping Beauty. He is the one who, he, he is the love that turns us, the beast, back into a human, and he's the one who traveled the ocean to find us. In other words, Disney is robbing Jesus. But only Jesus captures the whole of it. Let me just keep Disney going. So let's take the story of Moana, the movie Moana, right? We know this movie, or if you don't, it's a Disney movie. Um, So here's how the movie goes. There's a green heart. And if you haven't heard it, I'm giving everything away. There's a green heart. And the problem that's happened is this heart had a place in the earth, you could say. And the heart is removed And then what happens is the world starts turning into ruins. And so Moana goes on this quest, this adventure, where she's going to go and put the heart back where it goes so everything will be fixed. Only along the way, there's these monsters that want to get the green heart. And so she's moving towards a spot where she needs to put this heart. The monster comes up. Somehow she gets by the monster, and she's right there, the place where the spot where the heart's supposed to be goes, and oh no, it's not there. There's no place to put the heart, and, she, and, and everything turns hopeless. What is going on? She's freaking out. Her friend's about to die because of the monster's going to get him, and then she looks up at the monster, and she sees a hole in his heart, and she realizes, oh, that's the place where it goes. And so she lets the monster come to her. And because it's Disney, she breaks out into song. And as she breaks out into song, here's the words that she sings. I have crossed the horizon to find you. This is not who you are. I know who you are. Then restores the heart. And then this evil monster turns into this thing, this huge green thing that gives life to the earth. Now, The Bible's trying to convince us that we are that monster. Christ has crossed the horizon to find us because he knows who we're meant to be, to change our hearts because our hearts are dead and he's making us alive and then we're called to bring life to the earth. I mean, literally, when we're created, God says, go into the earth and cultivate, meaning bring life. And I'll I'll get back to that in a second. That's our third point anyways. But one, Disney owes all that money back to God. I mean, she's... but here's, here's what we got to realize. That's my boy. 
Is Elise in here? Okay. Okay, good. So, <laughs> that was distracting. Um, here's what Jesus is saying. He is the only answer to the problem of sin. Jesus is the only answer to our problem of sin and the ruins that we are in. And if we don't have him, here's what you end up doing. You minimize your sin because you have to. It's a coping me mechanism. You, you rationalize with yourself. The world is not so bad because it's all you have left to do. It's a coping mechanism. And so you got to do it. You got to say, oh, this isn't so bad. This isn't so bad. And what you do is you're lying to yourself in order to cope with the reality that you don't have a rescuer. But finally, the rescuer has come. And so if you will just go to him, you'll see, oh, yeah, the world really is that bad. And there's a lot wrong with me. But God is not done. He is redeeming me. Okay, that's okay. Follow after Jenny. You can go. I got into it too. It just got cut short a little bit. Um, if you will go to Christ, he will set you free from your sin. Because what happens is if we're pretending like things aren't so bad, we're like a broken car sitting in its garage trying to see the world, but we're chained up. We can't go anywhere because we're broken. And so we're trying to see the world and we're seeing it as we think it's to be seen through this garage that is in a sense closed, maybe opened up at best. But Christ has come to set us free from this so that we might go out and actually see the world for what it is and realize that it is a wasteland. And then by doing that, we go to help work towards bringing God's kingdom to the earth so that life might come upon the earth and the ruins would be changed. The line that says, he has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you know what that means? It's referring to the year of Jubilee. So for the Hebrew people, every 70 years, all debts are forgiven. Be like the year right before year 70, you get all this credit card debt, and you're like, I don't care about all my, all my debts about to be forgiven. So every 70 years, all debts would be forgiven. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, I have come to break you from this material debt and forgive this material debt. He's saying, I've come to heal your spiritual debt. I, he's saying, you are spiritually bankrupt. And I've come to make you a spiritual billionaire, meaning... I'm bringing you home. We're on the way home, and I'm bringing you back to our God, back to your God, so that all things will be made right for you again. Become the spiritual billionaire because you're finally in the presence of the one that you've longed to be in the presence for, something that no money can give you. And when that happens, it talks about this in the New Testament, that the kingdom of God is worth everything. And so you're willing to sell all that you have, give all the money that you have away just for the kingdom of God, even though you don't have to, but you're willing to do it in a way and you are called to it, but you're not called to it in a way. But I know that's confusing. You'll figure it out one day. But what, what I'm saying is it's worth so much. Nothing on the earth is worth what is being offered to you. That's the year of the Lord's favor. And not only that, did you see the verses that said we're, we're clothed with the robe of righteousness and the garments of salvation? You know what that means? Do you know the way that someone was honored by a king in this time, back in the day, way back in the day? The way a king would honor someone is parade them around in a robe, the king's robe. 
Say, here's my robe. Go be paraded around the city so everybody could see that I'm honoring you. Look at what's happening here. You are being paraded around by the robe of righteousness. It's Christ, and he's giving it to you, and you are being paraded around, and this is the greatest honor that you could be given by Christ. What it's saying is your sin, you've been set free from your sins, past, present, and future, but not only that, you're given this honor by faith that you're clothed in all of the righteousness of Christ. And all the righteousness of Christ is all of his beauty, all of his perfection. Everything is credited to you. And so now the Father looks at you and he, and he sees you wearing the Son's robe and he says, Ah, that is my Son, with whom I'm well pleased. All credited to you. And His love is pursuing you. As fast as a cheetah pursues her prey, his love is pursuing you. You are prey to his love. That's what this robe gives you. The love is chasing after you and it does not stop. Now, you better believe when this happens, deep in your soul, you experience some spiritual flourishing. And you better believe when that happens, it's going to give you emotional flourishing and it's going to give you social flourishing and enough people are experiencing those things then a city will be changed think about what happens emotional flourishing yeah life's going to be hard but he's with you through it and he's leading you through it think about what belief in christianity does to you emotionally okay watch If God, the only one who really ultimately matters the most, the ultimate definition of truth, the ultimate definition of authority, the ultimate definition of saying who you are, if he is clothing you with this robe of righteousness, this garment of salvation, and giving you this great honor and seeing you as he sees his son, do you know what that means? It doesn't matter what people say about you. Because he, who is the ultimate authority, has said what truth is about you now. You know what else that means? It means your pride and your insecurities are wiped away. You know why? Because you didn't earn it. You didn't earn that robe. You didn't earn this forgiveness. And so you say, well, I didn't earn this. What do I have to be prideful about? Nothing. And you say, well, what do I have to be insecure about? Nothing. You're wearing the robe. He honors you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. He thinks, he delights in you. He thinks the world of you. That drains you of every bit of insecurity. And then do you know what that does to your relationships with people? You're not prideful anymore. So you aren't so annoying. You aren't insecure anymore. So... You aren't so annoying. I mean, I, and look what else. He's forgiven your sins as far as the east is from the west. He's wiped it clean. And you know what that means now? It means you can forgive other people. Because you've been forgiven such a great debt. Why wouldn't you forgive other people? In fact, you're commanded to. And in fact, the Bible says if you can't do that, you're probably questioning if you've actually been forgiven. And so you know what that does to your friendships? It restores them. Your relationships are restored because guess what? You can't be in relationships with people if you don't forgive them. It's impossible because they're annoying. And you are too. 
And, and so friendships are restored. Relationships are restored because forgiveness happens. Social. So there you go. There's the social flourishing. And then enough people do this, cities changed. Take a neighbor. Let's say, let's say there's one house in a neighborhood of 12 houses, and one house has gotten hold of this truth, and they're experiencing spiritual flourishing and then emotional flourishing and social flourishing. Guess what happens? As that happens, and more and more people in that neighborhood, let's say all 12 of those houses have discovered this truth, that neighborhood will be completely changed. I promise you. And that begins the part of your, that begins your adventure in the story. That begins your part in the story. See, you don't just enter his kingdom being paraded around in this robe. Immediately, he calls you out on an adventure to go do the most important thing that you will ever do in your life. Point people to him. You see someone emotionally suffering, there's a problem spiritually, you point them to Christ. If you see someone socially suffering, there's a problem spiritually, you point them to Christ. If you see a culture suffering, a mess, point them to Christ. He's the answer. What we see in these verses is that those who have been... Verses 1 and 2 are all about those who are being rescued by Christ. And then verse 3 and 4 are saying that those who've been rescued by Christ immediately join his cause and go into the wastelands to see people renewed. Okay, verses 3 and 4. Those have been rescued. What are they called? Oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and they, those who've been rescued, will rebuild the ruined cities. Not the strong, not the powerful, but those who knew that they needed a rescuer. Those are the ones who rebuild the ruined cities. Meaning we are rescued out of the ruins. We're rescued out of the wastelands and immediately called to go right back into the wastelands wearing this robe, this new robe that we have to point other people to Christ so that they might catch that robe too. What an honor, what a privilege, what an adventure to be called to that. And that is how God's kingdom comes in our city, in our county, in the city surrounding us. God always works in partnership with his people. He always raises up a remnant who have the courage to go and do what he's calling them to do. To help write a new story for a city. God's kingdom in heaven coming on the earth. This is the prayer. Jesus Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? Pray for my... Pray, pray to my Father that the glory of God comes, the kingdom comes on the earth that is in heaven. So our prayer is the kingdom of God in heaven, in our city. We've just, what are we, almost a month off of Christmas. So listen to this. Listen, listen. When the song of the angels are stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings go home and the shepherds go back to their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the brokenhearted, to feed the spiritually hungry, to release the spiritual prisoner, to rebuild the ruined cities by pointing the people around us to Christ. 
You know, this is exactly where we get the name, the grove, right here in this text. It's a picture of spiritually flourishing people, oaks of righteousness, being planted in the wasteland to rebuild the ruined city. That's you. That's the grove. It's not here. It's us. Collectively saying, oh man, God, let's together go seek to build God's kingdom in our city. Seek its flourishing. Spiritually, emotionally, socially, and culturally. So here's how we're doing it this year. The pra- this is practically what we're saying this year. This, to accomplish this, our gospel communities. So if you haven't heard this word before, this is just a group of people who are saying, we're going to seek to go do this. It's a small, think of it like this, a small grove in our city seeking to help each other, people in this group, to grow in faith, but also seeking to help the people around them, the world around them, to come to faith and then also grow in faith. So what we did, all of 2018, we had our discipleship groups, and the sole purpose of those discipleship groups was to help you come to faith and then grow in faith. So, well, the, the sole purpose of, let me say that again, the sole purpose of the discipleship groups was to help you grow in faith so that then you might be equipped to help others come to faith and grow in faith. That was all of 2018 was spent for whoever was in that, we just wanted so badly for you to grow and then understand how to help other people come to faith and grow in faith. So 2019 hits. Now we are saying, let's all go out and do this together. So groups of people are formed and they function as a small, tiny grove sent out into the city to help people come to faith and grow in faith. To help the wasteland, the ruins become renewed. And this is where you sink in your seat, you get overwhelmed, and you say, I can't do that. That's too scary. I don't know how to do it. Let me just say, here's, here's a starting point. Well, first let me say this. Be faithfully present. Be, just do what God's telling you to do. And let him handle the rest. So, starts like this. You just go and be a good friend. And love people like Christ has loved you. That's a great way to start. Then God gives you the words as you go, as you're trying to figure it out with the rest of your church. And then God gives you opportunities to invite people here, maybe. But just go be a good friend and go love people. And then just be waiting, ready, ready for God to show you opportunities when they come. And enjoy this adventure because you are being sent out wearing this robe of righteousness. God, infinite pleasure in looking upon you because you are his son, his daughter. Complete love, complete delight because of your faith in Christ. And you look forward to the day when God will one day turn this ruins, turn this wasteland into a paradise. And he's doing it now gradually, but there's going to come a day when he comes in all of his glory and he gives us our perfect ending. Everything we want, everything we long for. Something Disney will never achieve. They won't be able to articulate. 
Verse 11. The Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. This is happening now. But it's also pointing forward to the day of completion. When the ending of the story has finally been written and all that is good and right sprouts up and all that is bad and wrong is shaken out of the earth. Righteousness, you know what it is. I mean, I said it a little bit earlier, but it's everything that's about God coming. All of his justice, all of his beauty, all of his grace. Every, the, God is the very definition of all that is right and all of it just being thrust upon the earth. And what happens is everything that is good and right and wonderful and perfect and just sprouts up. And then the response to that is there's praise sprouting up because we are finally where we're meant to be and the glory of God has come and we're finally seeing him as he is. And he's not distant anymore. He's not a concept or an idea, but he's very real to us. And when that happens, we can't help but praise. And this overwhelming joy in us that just has to be thrown like out into the air because we're going to over, overflow like a well that doesn't have enough room for the water that's in it. And that's the day we live happily ever after when the king comes. That's the ending of the new beginning. All is right. No matter what you've done, past, present, future, That's the ending. You go to him for it. Not just to get it, though. Because you might go there to get it, but then you realize that he's really the prize. He's really the treasure. Because you go to him and you see the one who was clothed. The one, not you, but the one who was actually clothed in perfect righteousness. And he comes and he takes his robe off and he gives it to you. And he takes your robe of sin and puts it upon himself. And on the cross, he wears your robe of sin and is crushed under the weight of your sin so that he could give you this beautiful robe of righteousness and these garments of salvation. And he's given you this great honor of being paraded before the Father in heaven who looks on you with great delight because you're wearing the perfect righteousness of Christ. On the cross, he became the prisoner to set you free. On the cross, he mourned so you could be glad. On the cross, he became ashes so you could become beautiful. And on the cross, he literally becomes sin to make you into an oak of righteousness planted by Christ in the kingdom of heaven and planted here on the earth to grow and sprout now so that his kingdom might come through you and him together. Mostly him working through you. Well, all of him working through you. And he on the cross rose from the dead to turn us from zombies into real humans as we're meant to be. Wear that robe today. Don't take it off in your mind. Don't forget how he feels about you. That he delights in you. And then look forward to the day when you're going to be running with him in paradise forever. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to see this as just a story that's far off from us, but a story that we have been written into by you. 
We want to see this Christian story as something we are swept up into, something that we ran away from, and your hand reached through it, through the story, grabbed us and put us in. And so God, teach us to believe, help us with our unbelief, and to help now praise sprout up within us because of the work that you're doing in us and through us. Let us see the honor of what it means to wear this robe of righteousness that we didn't earn, but we received as a gift. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.